Hello, you're listening to Underscore, a podcast by the Chicago Graphic Design Club, dedicated to bring you conversations with Chicago's creative leaders. On this podcast, we'll explore the craft, theory, and practice of graphic design, plus discuss bold ideas that push the boundaries of what's possible and ways in which we can create a more thoughtful and inclusive community. To learn more about us, visit our website at www chicagographicdesign.club or find us on social media. Special thanks to the Chicago band 80 Slang for our theme music. Hello, I am today's host, Christian Solorzano, and today I'm speaking with Jonathan Sangster and Katie Duffy founders of Mix Studio, described as an interdisciplinary studio specializing in visual communication, branding, and web developments. Their manifesto says, we are digital gremlins and cyber sailors. We're kittens with big eyes and puppies with a keen sense of smell. We're scumbags and bandits. We're idealists and realists. We're a sleight of hand and a binding spell. We're tailors, crafters, cobblers, and fighters. We fall asleep queer and cuddly, and we wake up and choose violence. Jonathan is a designer, artist, and photographer, and lectures at the School of the Art Institute. And Katie Duffy is an artist, designer, developer, organizer, writer, and we're happy to have the both of you here today. So I want to learn about how the two of you have met, and what's that origin story like? I was an hour late for a meeting with Jay, like, was it like five years ago? Yeah, yeah. I invited Jay to uh, do a visiting artist program when I was at NEIU. Um, and so they were gonna be the visiting artists in the makerspace that I ran. Uh, and I didn't show up to the meeting. Uh, so Jay was like wandering around trying to figure out the art department. Um, and then I like stalled them in the hallway and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and if there's one thing that most people know about me, and particularly my students, said I'm a fan of promptness. Yes, I am not. <laughs> so, um, and that's maybe my privilege, just talking. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we met then, and then we just kind of, you were just doing a bunch of stuff on the internet, mm-hmm. and I was doing some stuff on the internet, and we were just going to each other's things, and mm-hmm. then. I reached out to you and you invited me to come visit when you were doing the residency at Latitude. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. How could I forget? Yeah, Mm -hmm. we had a really good studio visit and Mm -hmm. yeah, I just thought Jay was swell and, um, you know, we're, we're partners, uh, but working together is like really, really lovely, which I'm sure we'll talk about Mm -hmm. more later. Partners in life, partners in business, partners in making. So Mix Studio is new and it was, it, it, I, I, mem- I remember seeing, like hearing about it only a few months ago. Like it's, it's been six months or so now, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's um, pretty new. So tell me a little bit about that and how that came about. It was kind of organic, right? Because we, you know, identified very quickly that we work really well together uh, and bounce off each other creatively very well. And we'd work together on a couple different projects, you know, together. And 
you know, it kind of just made organic sense to create an entity for us to work under. Yeah, yeah and I've always, I've always loved Jay's work. Like, we're both really a fan of, like, we're both Please big do. fans of breaking shit, you know, <laughs> yes. and so I like, immediately mm-hmm. recognize that in, yeah. in work. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, pretty much my process for creating my work that's, like, maybe more on the visual art side. Because, yeah. um, like, breaking shit when you're a developer isn't, like recommended um yeah so you know i find i try to find some ways to be i, I do find some ways to be creative in that space but mm-hmm. in just in a different way and that's i think that's like how we really feed off of each other is that like you have a skill set that i don't mm-hmm. i don't necessarily have and so we just mm-hmm. kind of like make this really great team yeah because i that's that's one of the things that i did notice about um both of your work is that it's very experimental and even I'm looking at the artwork that you both have behind you and it looks like it's just is that something that the both of you made or I mean like hearing the both of you talk about this and then looking at what's behind you it it feels very appropriate (laughs) this is exciting uh this is new work that KT the techno genius is working on (laughs) okay please explain this project um yeah it's so it's just a really simple program that like generates forms I use processing to build it um and I'm able to export a a pdf from this like generative program that you know uh from a certain point I can like anticipate what shapes will be in there or you know what the lines will do but a lot of it is like really chaos and chance um and I like literally click a button and it takes a pdf screenshot and then from there, I can make a DXF file, and then I send it to my my plotter over here. This is a 24 inch plotter, and um, just plots it for me. So I hang out and read while this robot makes things for me. So let's go back in time. I want to understand or learn about. Um, uh, maybe upbringing is not the right word, but I, I want to know a little bit about what led the both of you to where you're, what, what you're currently doing today. Um, just going back to like, what was the first introduction to technology, graphic design, typography, breaking stuff? Um, yeah. What was, what was that path like? Well, I think first it must be said that we're both Southsiders. Mm-hmm. That's an okay. important detail. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm a, I'm a Southsider myself. So oh, I, yeah. I could relate. <laughs> Sorry. So why don't you go first and talk about your indoctrination into breaking shit? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I I think that you know people that are familiar with my work like know that I am not a huge fan of straight lines. I'm a huge fan of like going through starting with a concept going through the process and like figuring out what's worth keeping and what's worth adjusting and playing with in the process right like it's not a to z for me at all right and like my like the very very beginning Right. We'll get to the technology part in a moment. Right. But my beginning was, you know, uh, being introduced to like hip hop and graffiti and my friends when I was in high school. And that translated into, uh, you know, a love of printmaking, which led to, uh, you know, graphic design. Right. 
at this translation of uh, language, letter forms, ideas, um, play with meaning and visual output. Um, so my introduction to technology really started when I was in college, which was 1999. Um, but also, this is a, another thing about me. Unlike KT, the techno genius, I'm not a huge fan of technology. Uh, I make digital work, but by no means do I love it. Um, I'm still a huge fan of experimenting uh, and working, you know, by hand, uh, cutting things up, splicing things together. I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, analog photography. Um, but for me, I really like the idea of combining the two, right? Like everything analog and digital, I really like putting those two together. And I think that there are so many more opportunities for like cohesive and tangible play. Um, like that's the way that I like to work. And that's, you know, the path that I enjoy being on. Yeah, because there's a sense of organized chaos in some of your work. And I think it's, 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 I agree, like it's the perfect intersection between analog and then also you're obviously showcasing your work majority online. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I like that. Um, and what were some of your early influences? You mentioned hip hop, graffiti. Is there anything specifically that just, like for me, it was, it was an Aerosmith album cover that sort of, sealed the deal for me and made me want to become a graphic designer. What about you? Was there anything like a turning point where you're like, all right, this is it? I mean, album covers for sure. Uh, also comic books. I'm a huge fan of Marvel comic books, uh, the different styles, like specifically, you know, comic book lettering um, and the amount of like feeling and expression like it was always uh, of interest to me as well, right? And for me, it's like, it was all like building this foundation of uh, meaning through letter forms, building up to uh, an expression, right? And then, you know, through drawing and printmaking, right? And then transitioning into uh focusing on typography through graphic design like that was all a very uh natural like visual evolution for me but i also think um looking at your work there's a there's a big element of storytelling and mm -hmm. i remember you you gave a talk with our group um two years ago now and i remember you mentioned that you're you're reading all the time and looking at your work everything incorporates typography and more specifically, words and um, and it's always it, it seems like you're always communicating something. Mm -hmm. um, so, what's that relationship like? What what how do you go about choosing what you want to say? Because I get the idea, I get the impression from some of your work is that you're always responding to something that's contemporary, something that's happening, whether it's something political or something that's happening, you know, in the world. So what's, yeah, just what's the relationship like with, uh, with that, with those two worlds? Well, and for me, you know, and uh, I've gotten into this discussion with a lot of designers over the years, 
there's a debate about whether I'm a designer at all. Um, but, <laughs> but for me, it's like, uh, you know, the professional side and of design and the personal side of design are, you know, kind of the same thing. It's like you're using tools to say something, to elaborate on something, to respond to something, right? Um, and just because, you know, it's like we live in this, you know, capitalist hellscape, but at the same time, it's like, if you're using that to make money, it's like, great, fine. That's the tool that you use for that. But like, I also use this um, like skill set to like visually respond to life, politics, uh, subject matter that I'm reading, that I'm uh, focusing on, individual philosophies that I'm reading about and, you know, discovering and, you know, talking through with myself. It's like, I don't, I don't know. For me, it's like, you know, uh, the handling of visual language isn't something that you just like pick up, mm. you know, during your nine to five and then put down. For me, it's a it's a thing that you do and filter everything through. It seems like something that's integrated into part of your being, right? Like it's not something that you that you think about during a fixed period of time, but it, I get the impression that it's something that you're just sort of always thinking about. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, um, I think especially with, you know, uh, whatever that's happening in the world, again, news cycles, it's like, mm. uh, like in my head, it's like, you know, reading fiction novel, looking at the news, like looking at someone else's work. It's like in my head, it's like, there's this response as composition thing that like builds, you know? And what about you, KT? Like in high school, I just was like, uh, I was a jock and, but also like a complete art nerd. Um, and I just kind of did everything. Like, you know, I, I was making like really hyper-realistic paintings, but I was also taking like Photoshop, Illustrator classes, you know? Um, so I just got exposed to like a ton of stuff in high school. And then I went to college and I actually uh, have degrees in social work and um, digital art and design. Uh, but there I was also like making paintings and also kind of the same thing, like taking these um, digital design classes. Uh, and I had a professor come who was like fresh out of grad school, came from SFAI and he sort of like blew my mind, like introduced me to like queer feminism and he was making a lot of video work. And that was like my gateway drug, if you will, uh, <laughs> into technology was just like video and like making things move. And, you know, cause I was making these paintings and I was just like, this doesn't, this doesn't hold me enough. Like I need shit to light up and move and make noise. And, um, so yeah, that's what got me really interested in, in uh, learning to code, which I'm like a self-taught, I am a self-taught programmer. Um, and yeah, from there I, I had a, I went to um, grad school at uh, Maryland Institute College of Art. And that was just like two years for me to kind of develop this like hybrid practice. I worked at a tech company out in Baltimore and um, the whole time I'm there in Baltimore, I'm, I'm also teaching. I'm a professor now um, and teaching is like something that's really important to me. Um, 
yeah, just like both of us yeah getting like interacting with like you know my colleagues in the classroom um and just seeing like what people are thinking through and working on um i don't know it like keeps you on your toes it keeps you like it, it, you're just like always in this community mm -hmm. and um I mean, that's what I loved about art was just like that studio culture, you know, and just like how you kind of feed off of everybody. And that's what I feel like we do a lot in um, Mixed Studio is like, we kind of have that like studio culture mm -hmm. kind of thing going on. Mm -hmm. So you would say like Mixed Studio is sort of like your playground for just experimenting and, and breaking stuff and, and, and so what? Okay. Yeah, I mean, we want to make products for people, you yeah. know, like we want, we want mm -hmm. our, we want our shit to work. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of uh, just collaborating and, you know, coming up with like branding identity web products for folks like we want to, we really want to like think outside the box and, um, you know, challenge ourselves mm -hmm. uh, to kind of come up with, you know, new interesting ways of you know talking about branding we do a lot of work for um and, and in my experience of graphic design is i've done a ton of work for like nonprofits and artists mm -hmm. i do some development for artists too and that's like pretty much our our client base so mm -hmm. that allows us uh a little bit of um freedom in terms of like what we make because we're working with mm -hmm. creative people yeah e even even the website that the both of you have for anyone that's listening i would encourage you to check it out um We'll put a link to it in the description, but it's the website itself. It's, it's interesting. It's interactive and it's not, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like uh, ordinary websites. Um, and I think that speaks to what both of you are talking right now. Um, but what I find the most interesting is, I don't know, what would you call it a manifesto or your about page where you start off with, we are digital gremlins and cyber sailors. Um, I just love that so much. And I, and I love that it ends with, we wake up and choose violence, because I think it's such a radical thing to say. Um, and I know that the both of you are not violent people. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we, but thank you for clarifying. <laughs> um, but yes, just so what, what, what was, yeah, um, to me, that's just super fascinating, that just that, that, that entire statement. Um, so yeah, tell me a little bit about that. How how did that come about? And and was it one of those things where you just you did it in five minutes and you knew it was right, or was there a lot of like iteration back and forth? Wait, I want to start at the bottom. Okay. <laughs> like, like I think that you know in in the world that we live in, it's like right there's right like not. It's like we're not talking about like physical violence we're talking about like ideological violence right the fact that you actually have to um in a philosophical and ideological way like actually fight for things that you believe in things that you support right like this isn't it's like if you're talking about doing work that aligns with your values like these aren't things that are easy it's like these are things that you have to fight for yeah and we live in a violent very violent society you know mm -hmm. like we're we're part of that right yeah. like mm -hmm. um it's just like in the water you know yeah whatever way you look at it mm -hmm. yeah so uh, it's more it's more of like uh design as a tool to fight back that's that's how i'm interpreting yeah. it and i think i mean i i always think about what the word threat or like threatening means and i think today 
we, in a way, we need to be somewhat of a threat to mm-hmm. things that are unjust. And yeah, so that, so that's one of the reasons why that, that re- really resonates with me. And I've, and I've always wanted to, I always flirt with that word violence, because I think it's interesting, yeah. and it means so many things. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally love it. Yeah. But I'm glad that uh, the two of you were unapologetic about you know, putting it on your website, despite what, how people might interpret it. Well, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, we believe in as well. It's like this, it's like, I really hate this, you know, corporate like interpretation of the word transparency. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, we believe in being transparent. We're not talking about, uh, you know, protecting ourselves in a way that yeah. we want it suit right yeah that's not what we mean by transparency we mean that we are the people that we are and that's who we're going to be like if we're working with someone like collaborating with someone it's like you can expect us to bring ourselves right mm-hmm. there's not a version of us yeah. that is is the business version (laughs) yeah and to show up for each other and like show up for our community too you know like just being visible being super honest Mm -hmm. and like um making products and design work that uh kind of has that ethos just built into it from the ground up yeah Yeah. and even in the classrooms like i tell my students this as well i'm like you like this isn't even about design. This applies to everything, right? You can ask me questions about design, life, my experience, uh, and I will always be as truthful with you as possible mm-hmm. because it doesn't serve me or anyone else for me to like hide, subdue, or not be truthful. Mm-hmm. Every time I hear that buzzword transparent, I'm like, well, what's the alternative? Like, what's the opposite yeah. of transparency? Like, why is that even an option? It's right, almost exactly. like decronian capitalization. <laughs> Capitalism. Yes. It, and, and it's and it's and it's similar to human-centered design, is like what's the like what what's, what's the alternative on not human-centered design? So <laughs> oh my God, when that became popular is a term field like that just like i like racked my brain trying to figure out what the fuck that meant i was like if it isn't all design intended to be human centered <laughs> god what are you what are you doing i think another yeah. one to pick on too is design thinking yes um like what so we're all just gonna think like swiss white guys like is that <laughs> what we need yes yeah yes more more of that yeah <laughs> yeah no i agree and, and i think as someone that works in in that world that's and as someone that works in that world and whose background is in art and design i think um i'm a little bit more sensitive to hearing those words um so i always get riled up whenever yeah. i it, it just triggers me so there's mixed studio and then you're also both both teaching and you went a little bit of, over your your ethos when it comes to teaching and your approach to that. Um, but, you know, as the Chicago Graphic Design Club, something that we're always thinking about is how could we sort of fill in those gaps in our industry, in our community? So um, we're always just thinking about how could we create a more equitable design industry, specifically in Chicago? 
Um, so we always like to ask our guests, are there any anything in particular that comes to mind as far as um, things that you both feel need to be improved in Chicago or ways that we can make design be something that be a profession that's a little bit more accessible? Because um, I, I, I mean, I, I still think that there is a huge lack of diversity in our field. And I think even yeah, even some of the, like the interns or like the, the new hires that I see, for instance, at my company or other companies, like I always feel like there's a big misrepresentation of the population. Mm -hmm. um, so does anything come to mind? Um, yeah, so many, so many things. things. I mean, yeah. Huge question. You know, you said it like access. All access right. is, yeah. we can start there. Yeah, here um, we go. You know, like when I was teaching at NAIU, like the thing that happens is those students don't, they're not in the mix. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's this like, it's this very exclusionary club and it's just like, get over yourself. Like, you know, you don't have to take yourself so seriously and take your little click so seriously. Like mm -hmm. you have to make space for others. And um, just seeing like firsthand some of the struggles that the students like dealt with trying to just even get their foot in the door mm -hmm. like just even even just this idea of access like we don't even have that you know yeah. and right in these design spaces like you know if you can get in there yep it's like they're not particularly helpful environments i would go as far to say they're hostile they to, are actively hostile. yeah like to black brown people to femmes to queer people it's mm -hmm. like they're not uh to use that that buzzword inclusive mm -hmm. like at all mm -hmm. like they're not welcoming mm -hmm. yeah. and it's like how long do you want <laughs> to have to endure that for the sake of a career mm -hmm. And how long do you have to just continue to do the same thing? You know, like I, I was trained this way, so I'm going to treat people this way. And then like, right. you know, it's just a continuation. Like how, so we're just not going to try any other solutions. Like we're just going to, we're just going to keep like, you know, doing this approach where we just try the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. We're not actually offering you any solutions. We're just like complaining. <laughs> um, uh, I think that any solutions that we offer would be, uh, very high-minded and idealistic or uh, on in my perspective probably uh very dark and uh illegal so <laughs> i'm just gonna like veer away from that i also think like i am because i would start with guillotines but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. i'm sorry please continue no. <laughs> keep going please <laughs> We're gonna get we're gonna we're gonna get the show canceled. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, how much back before you get contacted by the FBI? Right. Um, I was gonna say though, like, you know, I'm a really big proponent of like DIY and like start mm -hmm. your own design firm. You know what I mean? Like that's it's yeah. it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be like oh, this is on you to find work and do it. You know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be on, like it shouldn't be that way. But if nobody's gonna, like if, if there isn't access and you don't, mm -hmm. you can't get your foot in the door and you don't wanna be in that corporate situation, then, you know, 
start your own thing, get your, get your friends, get your, you know, fellow graphic mm -hmm. designers and like start your own thing. There's all, there's work out there. There's mm -hmm. so much work out there, you know, and you can just build it from the ground up. And I've always found that like, anytime I've really hit like a barrier in both the art and design world. And I've, I've hit many, I just mm -hmm. myself, like I taught myself how to code. We <laughs> formed our own graphic design agency, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I just, you know, I just want to empower students to really feel like they can actually do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of like just showing up, right? Like, yeah. be, like being really honest about like mm -hmm. what you're doing. That's like, you know, for your career outside of the classroom um, and just like modeling for students, yeah. like how to move through this industry. I mean, I, yeah. I can't tell you how many students I've had that have come up to me and be like, oh, you're my first queer faculty member. Mm -hmm. And I know you've had very similar experiences oh, yeah. um, in different ways. And, you know, I think just like that, the visibility of yes. that. And representation yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, just like showing students some kind of path, right? Because it, there is no path. There's no one way of doing this. But being able to show them like, you know, I banged my head against the wall this many times and like figured it out in this way. Um, mm -hmm. And then like literally helping them, you know, like yeah. literally like right. keeping in touch after classes mm -hmm. and, you know, fostering their career and fostering mm -hmm. their development and just like putting that extra effort in so that they don't feel like, like, I just feel like at least at NEIU, I can't talk about any other school here because I don't know it, but I feel like mm -hmm. we just throw the students out. We're just like, good luck. Yeah. And we just like completely cut ties with them. And that's, it's violent. It's super violent. And I agree. Um, it doesn't get anybody anywhere. Well, and in terms of representation too, it's like, you know, as a black educator, it's like I have taught in many different institutions and I am the, usually the only black person that is faculty there. Right, like I've had, well, uh, my existence, legitimacy questioned. Like people are like, "You're, you're a professor." I'm like, mm -hmm. "Yes," right, because they do not often see a professor that looks like me, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of disturbing that it's so surprising that people don't believe it mm -hmm. right so if you follow that train of thought it's like if it's unbelievable for colleagues other adults it's going to be just as unbelievable mm -hmm. for students right which once again means that if this isn't something they have ever seen how the fuck are they ever going to imagine themselves doing it no it's an option you know right I mean, obviously so much more than that, but at right. the base level, like just seeing it as an option for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, and I, and I think a big part of it is like just being vulnerable with students. Cause I remember yeah. like all, all the, I mean, I could count the, the number of professors that I've had um, that I still think about to this day because they were just vulnerable and like, they would talk about, I mean, they would talk about, like, I remember I had one of them and they would talk about pretty serious like personal issues and it was the person that I mean I, I feel like these these professors were the ones that I was able to resonate with the most because they were real people and they mm -hmm. swore in class and they were quote-unquote unprofessional mm -hmm. um but they're they were talented that's us we're really good at it <laughs> <laughs> so so what are you both teaching right now um what type of classes 
Um, I'm teaching a summer class in uh, mixed reality. So AR, okay. and AR that's for the um, University of Oklahoma uh, graduate program in art and tech, art technology and culture. Mm -hmm. And then I'm teaching um, a class called Interface Code is Not Neutral uh, at OU okay. in the fall and another class. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> So all, another, all the things. Yeah, another class that I yeah. uh, don't remember what the title <laughs> You got a lot going on. It's true. Awesome. And what uh, about uh, you, Jonathan? So I was teaching, what did I teach most recently? Uh, I was teaching a design history seminar at NEIU, which is super fun and right up my alley uh, because I got to teach it in a way that in my opinion, design history needs to be taught, uh, which includes a lot of modern history. Mm -hmm. I am not a huge fan of digging into this foundation of old dead white men and teaching that as the only design history that matters. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's like this idea that we in the design community are still teaching the same historical information that I was taught 20 years ago is so bizarre to me because a lot of things have happened since. <laughs> um, really? Yeah, <laughs> weird. And to me, it's like, how are you teaching them things from 100 years ago and then expecting for them to operate in 2022 or yeah. 2030? Mm -hmm. um, so... I wish I could have taken that class. I was, it was yeah, really fun. Killed yeah, uh, lots of good dialogue in that one. So what was what was the process of just coming up with material for that class? Because something that we we try to sometimes do is, um, we we as part of the club, like we try to provide. So we're so our three pillars are craft theory and practice, and mm -hmm. with the theory components is, we're always trying to yeah just surface more design theory. Um, we take a lot of inspiration from like books and history. And I would say one of my biggest frustrations is, is just how difficult it is to find history of design that's not your standard history of design. Yeah, and it's, and it's frustrating. And it's sometimes it's just like, I don't even know, where, like, where do I go? I can't, I keep Googling and like the same things keep popping up. Well, and it's interesting too, because a lot of the resources uh, that are used like aren't published in books. So mm -hmm. it's like they're individual research papers and research projects, but they're not collected in a volumes, which makes it very bizarre and difficult uh, to rabbit hole. There's a resource that is a spreadsheet called Decolonizing Graphic Design History that was put together by a number of different professors, history professors from different schools. Um, actually, one of them was one of my professors at Southern Illinois University uh, named Karma Gorman. And I reached out and thanked her for her participation in this project. So I was like, this is exactly what I need. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can search that one up. If not, I can send that along to you because it is fantastic. Yes, please. Like, I met I really, really enjoyed uh, integrating into my class and teaching on, which was um, about stereotypography. It's mm -hmm. like essentially this idea of, you know, stereotypes 
that through history have reinforced uh, racist ideas. It's like in, in my teaching of this, I like constantly remind my students, it's like as designers, it's like we're crafting and shaping the world. You are not just making work to communicate something. It's like you're shaping how other people see other people, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're reinforcing right these stereotypes, like damaging divisive stereotypes for other people through your work. It's like there are specific typefaces that are built and meant to denote what a Asian person is or is capable of or sounds like or what a black person mm-hmm. says or smells like. It's like these aren't accidents. These are ideas that are intentionally crafted and then pushed into the world using visual communication. And, and I think it's it's such a difficult conversation to have with, um, like, for instance, when you're dealing with corporations, because I, I think getting buy-in, to me, I've, I've always found that to be so difficult, especially when there's a lot of money involved, is mm-hmm. how do you educate while you know, maintaining some sort of respect. And I, and, and that's something that I always, always, always struggle with is like the balance between, um, yeah, just the balance between that. Um, yeah. And I'll add that, you know, we share a lot of resources too. Like yeah. so we're always bouncing things back and forth from each other and sharing them with our students. And, you know, we're, we're also just plugged into like a lot of collective resources. Like I, I have a similar decolonizing new media sheet that I, I use a lot. And I find a lot of developers and stuff on there to work mm-hmm. with. Yeah, we're always like, Jay gives a lecture and I'm like, oh, let me, let me have that. <laughs> and then I like sort of update it for the class that I'm teaching. And yeah. um, the, one of the classes that I'm teaching this coming semester is interface code isn't, code is not neutral. Mm-hmm. And it's just really digging into um, like the, the violence of coding and uh, development and, you know, the, the historical precedent for who gets to be in those spaces. And mm-hmm. um, I find a ton of crossover with like what Jay's talking about, just in terms of even just type, right? Um, and like what I'm talking about in terms of my content for like front end development. And so it's like, I just feel like we're a really great resource for each other. Well, it's like, Christian, what you were saying, it's like, I feel like we have to, right? Like in this community, it's like all of these resources like aren't immediately apparent. They're not immediately available. So the easiest way for us to educate ourselves and educate, you know, others as designers and makers is to share these resources and Mm -hmm. share information and one thing we try to do too like i know you're you're really committed to this because you you're more on the type side of things than i am um you know with uh mixed studio work like we you know we we put a lot of time and intention to like choosing typefaces and fonts um that are made by uh black and brown folks by femmes Mm -hmm. um you know by by folks that don't traditionally like own that space right um and I think it's really important like we we call it out with the clients we're like oh this typeface Mm -hmm. is by this person this other typeface is by this person and then I think that's a good way to also like educate the client to be like well you know this is this is uh an industry that's like incredibly male incredibly white and Mm -hmm. you know this really really beautiful typeface we would like to use this because we'd like to support this this maker um and Mm -hmm. I feel like that brings like a lot of uh 
it brings a new conversation to the the client conversation in terms of you know when when you're getting feedback and stuff like that. Are there any specific industries or sectors that you're both particularly drawn to when it comes to working with clients? Because um, I, I mean, I'm I'm looking at uh, at the website right now, and I see that um, there is a Chicago Art Census, um, which I think is incredible. Um, Thanks. So, what's would you, yeah? Just what what is there like a criteria, or how how is that? What, what's that process like when building those relationships with potential clients? Values, I think. Values, okay. We really want to work with people whose values align with with us, mm-hmm. and um, we tend to find those people in the arts, and you know, mm-hmm. people that are working on creative projects and working with other creatives. Mm-hmm. Arts, culture, mm-hmm. music. I really like the idea of supporting, you know, other makers, you yeah, know, absolutely. in whatever field they're operating in. Um, not a huge fan of doing things to help people make things to make them more money. Uh, and that's, that's not our specialty. We don't, <laughs> we don't specialize in that. And, <laughs> you know, and I have this conversation, like we've had this conversation and I like talk to my students about this all the time. Cause I'm like, that's a complicated thing because we're all operating in the same, like consumerist capitalist hellscape. Right. And we need things like money to do things Mm -hmm. so it's like i don't have a perfect answer for this based on my thoughts of you know uh design ethics um because yeah i think that as makers it's like we're not always going to be in ideal situations right like in terms of like choosing clients and who you want to work with if you need to pay the mortgage Mm -hmm. Do do something to make that happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I can't come from this idealistic place and say, no, if this client's gross, don't do it. Because sometimes you just kind of have to. And like, especially if you're a student or just starting out, it's like, sometimes you have to do a thing to do a thing to get to a place where you can, you know, have these options, right? It's like the ideals and values that we, you know, try to operate within, that's coming from a pretty privileged position, right? Mm. To be able to say, I want to work with arts, culture, cultural Mm. institutions. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even that's like a place of privilege, right? Mm. The idea of choice is a a luxury. Right, exactly. And like, we're, you know, we're really privileged in that, like, I have a whole ass job, you know, and like, this is something Mm. that we're just starting and like I have the security of that job so that I can work in this way. But like mm-hmm. what you're saying is totally valid. I can't, I'm, I'm sure you have the same thing. I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with that I've just been like, no, thank you. But right. you know, you got to pay the bills. It's very real. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have a formula or equation for like, yeah. Right. It's like <laughs> work with this many growth. <laughs> Right. Work with this many nonprofits, and you'll like even out the scale. I've heard of. I I mean, I've spoken with some people, and they'll say that if they work with a client that perhaps is not so ethical, um, they'll then do pro bono work to somewhat like reverse like the effects of. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. In my mind, that looks like a formula of like you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and some you know agencies and firms like have that same equation. You know. (laughs) But I don't, 
I mean, as an individual, I'm like, it's like, you have to figure that out for yourself based on like how that makes you feel inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so you're, you're both from Chicago. Um, and why, why continue to stick around in Chicago? Why, like, what, what is it about the city that, um, yeah, that just makes you want to stay here? KT didn't. KT left. I live in Oklahoma currently, but okay. I, I summer. I summer in Chicago. Um, <laughs> Do you? Like I mean, it's done. Yeah, you? <laughs> you totally just snitched on me. Um, but Chicago's home to me. You know, okay. and my, you know, my my five year plan is to you know make my way back. Yeah. Back way. Um, and kind of step into this role full time. Mm-hmm. Um, to give that voice and plant that seed. Um, I'm still here because I'm more dedicated to. to <laughs> You're more dedicated to mixed studio. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, That's absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the fact that I'm still here is, uh, I don't know, happenstance. Um, being completely honest, not my favorite city in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that? Uh, going back to this question about. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Chicago could not be someone's favorite city. <laughs> so like all the way back to this question about diversity, it's like, yeah. I love so many things about Chicago, but at the same time, it's like for the large metropolitan city that it is, it's like the segregation here, mm-hmm. it, it has always been really gross. Mm-hmm. And that has always been really detrimental for Black people. Right. Mm. So it's really hard for me to say, yeah, I love it here. When historically for so long, people, politicians, uh, police are like, cool, you can stay, but go over there. Speaking of favorite (laughs) cities in the world, um, I feel really at home in Berlin and London. Great places. Nice. (laughs) And I remember like um, when I, I got a job in Oklahoma, that was like a good good step for me and um a lot of like people from you know my art and design community were like you're gonna live in Oklahoma like are you gonna be okay and it's like look around here like look at look what we have like look at the place that you live in like why are you hating on the south (laughs) like you need to really like look at what you're doing and look at you know the segregation in the city and the you know enormous problematics of how Chicago runs. I mean, I'm not like an apologist for Oklahoma either. Uh, <laughs> well, like, are we ranking this? Or? We're not, no. Not on this podcast, no. <laughs> okay. okay, that being said, it's like, I really do, I love the like art community, the design community, the queer community here. I love, love the arts. Like I'm gonna be working on a project with Museum of Contemporary Art coming up pretty soon, which is like a dream project for me. Um, Can you tell us anything about it or is it top secret still? I think it's top secret. Uh, It's (laughs) it's exciting. Um, So I'm gonna be doing some uh, identity branding work for a uh, program that's coming up in the fall. Okay. Um, right. So like in terms of Chicago, it's like places like the MCA, right? Like we're really influential in terms of like who like I am and how I think is 
you know and what you're looking at yeah a maker mm-hmm. right so it's like if i hadn't had that opportunity to visit that institution to be in that space it's like i would be a totally different maker of some sort mm-hmm. you know so it's things like that that i really love about chicago my dad took me to the mca when i was like 13 it was like the first time he ever went to an art museum and um <laughs> I saw a Tony Oisler piece and it like blew my mind. And I think back to like uh, influences and stuff. I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's really been something that has always kind of carried. I've always kind of carried around with me is like those, those early influences from like having my mind blown at the, at the MCA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I still. My class concepts in new media is the other class I'm teaching. (laughs) And, And could you tell us a little bit about that class? Yeah. It's, um, really just sort of like a, entry-level class that kind of teaches more kind of beginner-end tech processes. Um, So uh, we do like an experimental video project. We do a a digital fabrication project. um, And we do like a a coding project just to give the students like a taste of what's out there. And then like the content for it is really, um, really talking about like the implications of these tools and these technologies and like what it means that they're in the world and that we're participating in them. So Mm -hmm. I try to always bring in that like social justice standpoint. And it's really interesting when I first started working at OU, I would literally have students like, how does this relate? You know, (laughs) I'm getting better at like explaining to them, like it might not seem like these things are directly you know, related, but they very much are. And um, just helping them like make those those connections on their own is something that I'm, I'm working on now and trying to find like more solid ways of, of getting them to get to that space. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's something that I always find really interesting about like, you know, the way some designers think too. It's like that you shouldn't have a perspective. Mm-hmm. Bizarre to me because I'm like, if you're the designer, it's like, and if you don't have a perspective, why are you doing this and not anyone else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what makes this, what makes your work your work as opposed to any of, yeah, any, anyone else? Like, if you don't have a viewpoint or perspective, then it's like, it's almost like you're not an individual. Yeah. And I, and I think a part of, I, I don't know, like, I think something that contributes to that is how, um, I mean, design systems, for instance, like I'm a user interface designer. And I think something I always see is the, every time design is standardized, it almost makes it possible for like anyone to be able to do it in a mm-hmm. way that is good, quote unquote, good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, cause I mean, e- even myself, like I find myself sometimes doing work where I'm like, anyone could be doing this. Like I am just snapping things to a grid and yeah. it looks good and Over the over templatization of the web mm-hmm. yeah so i think i mean i think that's contributing to kind of what you're talking about um so yeah i mean so, something i always try to do is if you can't get if you can't have that outlet in your profession i think you know there's many other hours in the day where you could actually like break all of those things because I, 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 I right like you need that that outlet like mm-hmm. it, it just for me, it just always like serves me so much and like fills me up so much. And, you know, not having that outlet, um, I think is really detrimental to your career as a designer. Mm-hmm. I agree. And also a human being. It's like, yes. you know, the, the idea of leisure and fun and play, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. is important to the experience of 
being a human being and being a person mm-hmm. and not just being uh, a generator of output. Yeah, like a machine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, that's something that really frustrates me. I'm just like, if work is the most fulfilling thing in your life, you should probably take a step back and look at what's happening. <laughs> I've lived that never not working lifestyle. Like I've lived that hard and maybe I'm sort of just coming off that now. Um, it's, it's no good. Yeah. No uh, if you ask anyone that I have ever taught, uh, they will tell you that I am the first one to say, do not stay up all night working on this. Because mm-hmm. if you come here and if you are tired, you cannot communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I function in a way that is focused. Go home, take a nap. Yeah. I mean, to sit down. Yeah, yes. like, sit down. I mean, do- I mean, I, I think doing nothing is part of the creative process. And I yeah, think, totally. yeah, I, I, my best ideas come from me literally doing nothing and they just start, yeah, they just start coming. And I, and I think again, um, this hustle culture that we live in, especially something I always see on Instagram is you have some of these young designers that are literally creating a poster every single day. And you're just like, well, if I want to be good, I have to do that. And it's not sustainable. And you don't know what that person must be like. You, you don't, you don't, you can't see the other side of the picture. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, that, and that's, a, that's actually something that I always tell junior designers is, yeah, don't work too hard. Like I always say at 3 p.m. on a Friday, like turn your computer off, like leave, like it's important. So I think those boundaries are, yeah, they're essential. And when I was in college, I never did an all-nighter ever. I couldn't physically. I definitely did. <laughs> I, I did. I did too many. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hurt myself out a bit. I, I did. I mean, what I would do is I would just wake up at like four, three a.m. and like that. I I just did it in the reverse. It is the same thing, but it was a I guess a, a all morning or or something. But <laughs> you got like a couple hours in there. Nice try, though. <laughs> I just I, too much. I, I just found it difficult to stay past, you know, a certain hour. Like I, my brain just stopped working. So for me, it was just, I rather wake up early. So um, we're almost wrapping up. I have a few more questions, but if it wasn't uh, design or anything in the arts or anything remotely similar, um, what would you be doing? Any other professions, paths? Okay. So uh, ideally I would either be an assassin or... <laughs> Um, I would be doing nothing. I would just live in a cabin out in the woods. Um, my activity for the day would just be chopping wood whilst listening to my music and everyone would leave me alone. It's a great profession. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's not, not a too late. But that's, <laughs> that's my ideal life. It's never too I late. I would be a librarian because I'm just like interested in everything and... I found that the only career that can really hold that is like your interest in everything and just sort of having your hand in like all these different disciplines is like art and design. Last question, not design related, but what are your, what are some of your favorite Chicago spots? Any, any places, businesses that you guys want to shout out? Top of my head is uh, the Rainbow Club. 
Rainbow Club. And my favorite dive bar for many years, periodically, once or twice a year, definitely on my birthday. I always go because they've got one of the super dope old school uh, photo booths. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I still love those so much. I've got many strips of me that you can see like, you know, aging over the years. Yeah, I love that place. Not that there's much difference in the photos, but whatever, that's irrelevant. <laughs> oh, I'll give a shout out to Northeastern Illinois University. Uh, the students there are amazing. Um, you should work with them. You should hire them. They're great. Awesome. That was me talking to the listener, not you. <laughs> <laughs> I will hire them. <laughs> it's personal. It's personal. You better hire them. <laughs> um. All right, and then and then the actually final question is any advice for younger designers or anyone that is new to the industry? I think I would say like don't getting back to like your you have to have a perspective, like don't try to be like everybody else. Like show up for yourself, show up as as yourself and you know, with that honesty and that transparency that's that's all you have right as a as a designer right and your integrity mm-hmm. like just showing up and being your your full self when when and where you can and i think that i would say um because this is something that like i was never told i was never taught and it took a good long time decades for me to get uh comfortable with it's like like my love of experimentation right is also rooted in the fact that like it's okay to not do something right. Like mm-hmm. it's okay to like fail, get fired, do something wrong. It's like, you're a human being. You're not going to do everything right. You're definitely not going to do everything right the first time. You're not going to succeed at everything, right? That's okay. And like email people, like don't be, you know, I feel like when I was younger, I was just like, oh, I can't email people. Like they're just <laughs> Yeah, but like reach out to people like, you know, I'm not talking about like um, where you like you're like social network networking. Yeah. See, <laughs> you know, like like doing it in a way that makes you feel comfortable. Right. Like finding people whose like work you really admire. Talk to them, you know, ask, the, ask them if they need an assistant, you know, and try to get yourself paid. Like those are all real ways of getting your foot in the door. Like the worst thing you can say is no. Yeah. Or yeah. just not reply to you and you just move on and email the next person, you know, find, find all the little, the, you know, sort of up and coming design companies in, in Chicago, email email them all, mm-hmm. see what they're working on, see what they need, you know, and even if you don't get a job, then like they're, they might just have you in mind for when they do have the capacity to bring on more people. Mm-hmm. And that's actually how I connected with you, Jonathan. I remember I just messaged you on Instagram. Yeah. And yeah. People always ask, how do you get speakers and I'm, and I just say, I just, sometimes I literally just message them, Hey, on Instagram and they respond. <laughs> so yeah. it works. Some people don't, but it's okay. Yeah. It's like, in my experience, it's like, sure. It's like in our heads, people can respond in lots of different ways. Yeah. They're not in my experience. Right. It's like, you can get a no, you can get ignored you can natural response very rarely is somebody going to tell you to fuck off. Like, I don't think <laughs> that I've ever had that happen. It's a possibility, but it's, it's okay to try. Well, thank you both. Uh, this was great. And uh, yeah. And we'll put links to everything um, 
that we discuss and the description for this episode. So thank you so much. This was great. Absolutely. Thanks.